Hey, so last week, I gave a homework assignment. Anybody remember? Did anybody do it? Still a little bit. Okay. I know a couple of you. Tucker told me he did. He's not here today. But the, the assignment was to read Romans 14 every day this week. And then pray that God would reveal to you and remove from you if you have any spirit of comparison. Sometimes we go through life and there's, there's what the Bible refers to as strongholds. That sounds like a kind of an ominous word. But there are belief systems or things that we buy into in life. And oftentimes those things are not true. And so the spirit of comparison is one such thing where we kind of have this tendency to always be comparing ourselves to others. So something we can do from time to time is just read Scripture that counters and speaks truth into those things. And it's a good, it's a good way to combat some of those things. So that was the kind of the um, logic behind the homework assignment. We don't do that often, but, you know, who knows? Since nobody did that one, maybe I'll give you another one soon. You did it. Oh, a couple, a few of you did it. A few of you did it. Okay. All right. Uh, so, hey, we're continuing today in the Gospel of Luke. Again, if you're new with us, you haven't been here we're, we're slowly uh, working our way through Luke, but that's okay because it's a great book. And um, last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, Simeon. Simeon was a man, we just, that's what we know of him, that Mary and Joseph encountered at the temple when they took uh, Jesus to be dedicated. That was, it was an unexpected meeting. It was, a, it was normal procedure. That was what the law required. When you have a child, you go. and We do that here. Uh, you know, we dedicate babies from time to time. When, the, when folks have you know, new little ones in their home, we bring them up here and we dedicate them to the Lord. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing, just sort of following the procedure. Uh, but when they went there, there was unexpectedly this man, Simeon, that was there uh, waiting for them. And, and, well, actually, he was waiting for Jesus is what he was waiting for. Uh, but he spoke blessing over Jesus, and he spoke blessing over Mary and Joseph. And then he had a little bit of a tough message for Mary. You remember last week we talked about his sort of closing statement when he said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. We talked a little bit about the, the way that the Word of God and the, and the good news of the Gospel can penetrate our hearts and really help us to discern some of those things that might be in our lives that are not from God. So uh, anyway... As it turns out, Simeon was not the only person at the temple that day. Uh, There was another person who also had uh, a few things to say. So our title this morning is Anna Who? If you want to go ahead. Oh, come on, man. There she is. You can never trust a guitar player. Let's, uh, Let's pray real quick, and then we'll take a look at our text. So, Lord, uh, would you just uh, enlighten the eyes of our hearts today to receive your word, that you would cause your word to penetrate deep into our spirit and our soul and to draw us closer and closer to you and to help us to uh, look more and more like you all the time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 36. And this is, again, immediately following the... Uh, the text about Simeon. It says, there, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, 
First thing, in regard to Anna's age, verse 37 is a little bit rough to translate. It, it, it could say that, that she was a widow until she was 84, but it could, it could also very easily say, had been a widow for 84 years. In which case, if you think about that, if she was married around 14 years old, married for seven years, her husband passed away prematurely, and then was a widow for 84 years, that would put her somewhere around 105. <coughs> so either way, 84, 105, Anna had been around for a while. Um, like Simeon, all we really know about her is uh, what is shared right here in, in, in this short passage. It's kind of a cameo appearance in Scripture, if you will. She's not a major player. This is it. What we do know, Luke tells us that she's a prophet. Prophet is a person who speaks under the inspiration and with the authority of God into the hearts of God's people. There are <coughs> two aspects of prophecy. Not aspects, but sort of two different dimensions of prophecy that I wanted to just talk about briefly. One is, very often when we think of prophecy, we think of, of foretelling of the future, that prophecy is a, a word about something that's going to happen in the future. And uh, in, in extra-biblical prophecy, prophecy outside of the Bible, that very often is the case, um, but not always. And biblical prophecy, though, it's really, there's two things that happen. There is, a, a, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that dimension of the future, <coughs> but there's also what I would call <coughs> forthtelling, <coughs> which is not so much future, but it's a declaration of, of a proclamation of who God is and what His purpose is for His people. And it, it's not necessarily future-oriented as much as this is what God says about, about you or about Him or anything, you know, even today. I would just say this, both are very powerful. Both can be very powerful. The prophetic Word of God is a blessing. It's a, it's a blessing in the body of Christ. It's a blessing on individuals. When, when prophecy is spoken to or over someone, it brings life. And... Um, you know, last week, last week we had a prophetic word. Zoe shared a word with us about our church in the coming year. Thanks, Don. And uh, it was a powerful word, and I would encourage you to read it and remember it and take it to heart and just, just pray into it, pray life into it. It's a blessing. Prophecy is this, really. It's, when, it, when prophecy is spoken, it's God knows me. God knows who I am. He knows what's going on in my life. He knows my heart. And there's something so powerful and so, and so redemptive in that. So I just want to bless that and say yes and amen and stir the prophecy pots. Just be free. Be prophesied. Uh, so, you know, see more of that. It, it really is a blessing, and we love it. It's, it's a gift that is a tremendous, tremendous gift of God to us. Unfortunately, here in the text... Uh, we, we don't know the content of Anna's message. And I find that to be really, really interesting that Luke, the author, finds it important to tell us about Anna, who she was, and a little bit about her history, but not what she said. And uh, the only the conclusion I, I come to, again, when, when the previous passage was Simeon, he related Simeon's message verbatim, word for word, what Simeon said. 
He says, Anna was also there, and, and she prophesied, but he doesn't tell us what she said. So in my mind, that tells me that it must have been more important to Luke that she was there than what she had to say. So what do we conclude from that? First thing I think is this. I found at least three things, and maybe there's more, but I found three things I, I thought were significant about that. First is simply that Anna was a woman. And the reason I think that is significant is that uh, first century Israel was a very, uh, it was a patriarchal society, very male-dominant culture. Women were not often recognized in roles of authority or leadership, uh, especially not in the church. And uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Luke brings up this fact that Anna was there. I, I think he's trying to, to, to say something to us there. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and I'll, I'll just mention briefly, but um, today, even in some settings, some churches, some, some denominational uh, groups, that women are not allowed to hold positions of authority in the church. Uh, even here, I know of a few uh, churches uh, here in, in the area where that's the case. Women are not allowed to be pastors or hold positions of authority in the church. They're not allowed to speak in the church. And that comes from a, verse, a single verse in 2 Timothy. Uh, and I'm not going to exegete that text today. If anybody is interested, I'd be happy to sit down and, and, and talk it through with you. But the reality of it is the text is culturally driven. And when, when we read Scripture, one of the tasks we have before us is to determine... What are eternal truths? What things do we carry forward? And what things are culturally driven? And that particular text is really culturally driven. And, and so uh, I, I will just say this. In the Vineyard Movement, the, the, the part of the body of Christ that we are a part of, and in this church, that a woman can hold any position of leadership. Um, in, in the Vineyard USA, uh, our national director is, is, a, is a man. Um, but the next level of leadership below that is regional overseers. There are two female regional overseers in the Vineyard USA, including uh, here in the Northwest. Our RO, my RO, is Rose Sweatman. Uh, some of you guys know Rose. She's been here a number of times and spoken in our church, and she's just a joy. She's a blessing and has been a real uh, a blessing to us. Uh, here in our church, uh, you know, we are in the process. It's something new coming this year. Uh, you can look forward to this. We're developing a teaching team. We had our first meeting this week, and I'm excited about it because there are both men and women and young people and old people. Uh, I'm the oldest, <laughs> but there's a great diversity, and I, I love diversity in leadership. I, I told the team the other night, the only thing that would make this any better is, is if one of you guys was black. Um, and, and, you know, I was kind of joking, but the truth is we would love to see more ethnic diversity in our church as well. Uh, and so I think that's a prayer point. We can pray. God, bring people to us and bring us people that aren't like us. It's good for us to learn to grow and grow together and, and to be diverse culturally in the body of Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. So, but I am excited that there are women involved and women can be uh, in leadership here in this fellowship. So I, I think, in my mind, that may be one reason that Luke brings up the fact that Anna was there and blessed uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Uh, we're, we're, the second thing, if you want to go to the next slide... Second thing we're told is that she worshipped night and day. And I think that's significant. Uh, so so let, me, let me make a, a connection for you here. Anna was a prophet. So a prophet speaks the word of God, but before they can speak it, what, where, where, what has to happen? They've got to hear it, right? So I find it to be 
uh, telling that Anna worshipped night and day and also heard and spoke the voice of God. There's a connection between those things. Um, I, would, I would take that a step further. I would say this. I believe there's a connection between not only hearing the voice of God, but really the transformational process that we all go through uh, as we become more like Jesus. There's a, there, there's a connection between that and worship. Worshiping God is part of the process of being formed into the image of God. Would you go to the next slide, please, in 2 Corinthians? This is, I think, if you want to do homework this week, I wasn't really planning on a homework assignment, but I would just uh, meditate on this verse for a little while, okay? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We've heard that, and we've heard messages on that. And then the following verse says this, and we all, who is that? Us, us, guys, all of us. We all, who with unveiled faces... Now, this is a reference to Moses. When Moses saw the glory of the Lord, there was a veil over his face because the glory of the Lord was so bright he couldn't look directly at it, so he had to have the veil to shield him. And what Paul is saying here is that's not the case in our lives. The veil has been lifted. We're in direct contact. So all of us, with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And that word contemplate could also mean gaze or reflect. And so it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever looked at like the sun or a bright light in a mirror and it bounces back in your eyes, but it's kind of that idea. You look at something very bright and it's bouncing back at you. That's really what that word says. So we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. I love the New American Standard here. It says, instead of ever-increasing glory, that we go from glory to glory. There's greater and greater glory being manifest in our lives as we're transformed into the image of God, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the point of all that is simply as we worship God and we come into His presence, that in that, in that very act of just coming into His presence, we're transformed into His image in increasing ways. The more that we worship, the more that we become like Him. Um, isn't that good? Do you like that? That's, that's a good deal, I, I think. I, I want to say this to us. Um, we know this, but just as a, a little reminder, sometimes we need little reminders. Worship is so much more than just singing songs. I'm so, so incredibly blessed and thankful for our movement and the understanding we have and the liturgy, the the songs that we have that we sing and worship. And I'm so blessed. I love this set today. It's just great. Just those songs are so beautiful. But it's more than that. We're singing songs, but we're also, we're coming into the presence of God in a very tangible way. And if I could encourage you in in anything at all, and and here, I, I don't say this flippantly, because I, I think it's hard to do. I, I, under, I get it. I have, a, I have a real life like you. But my encouragement is, when we come to worship, to do your very best to leave everything else behind. We come in, and I know I find myself thinking about what i got to do today. I find myself thinking about what i got to do this week. I find myself thinking about all this other stuff. And it's, it's so to our benefit, to be able to, for that 30 or 40 minutes, disconnect from all that 
and, and allow, allow our, our minds and our hearts to be in the presence of God in a, in a real, real tangible way. So that's my encouragement today. Uh, you know, we come into worship and we're coming into the presence of God. And so I would say this, allow God to come into your space. You know, allow God to come into your space too. I think it's, it's a powerful thing. There's an old saying you've all heard, what you see is what you get, right? What you see is what you get. I, I would say this biblically, what you see is what you become. What you see is what you become. Go to, go to the next slide. This is Psalm 115. Let's talk about people that don't worship God. Them, their, their idols are silver and gold. They're these statues. They're made by human hands, but they're in the image of, of, a, of a being. So they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, they can't see. He's drawing a contrast between God. God does speak. God does see. They have ears, they can't hear. Noses, they can't smell. They have hands, they can't feel. Feet, they can't walk. They can't utter a sound with their throats. And then this is, this is sort of the kicker here. Those who make them will be like them, and so, all, so will all who trust in them. If you trust in idols, you become like an idol. If you trust in the things of this world, you become like the things of this world. If you trust in God, you become like God. And so, just an encouragement, uh, and a worship night and day, and an encouragement to us to enter into God's presence in worship. Um, third thing, last thing, that uh, impresses me about Anna is the relative solitude with which she carried out her ministry. Um, again, the age thing is a little, you know, we're not sure, but minimally 60 plus years worshiping, fasting, and praying. Okay? Always there, three times a day. Uh, not, no, she wasn't there three times a day. Somebody was there three times a day. Um, at the temple, there would be a, a service three times a day. It was morning, noon, and night, and people would gather. So just imagine, you know, probably, I'm guessing, maybe, a little bit like us, and some people would be late, but some would be early. And just think about whoever the first person to show up was, Anna was already there. Every service. Whoever showed up first, she was already there. This reminds me of something. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was young, I was a youth pastor at another church, and our church kind of had this season of prayer. And so for a while, and I don't remember how long it was, several months, we did prayer meetings three times a day, morning, noon, and night. <clears throat> so there was a room that was actually about like this room, about the same size, set up kind of the same way. And we would have a prayer meeting three times a day. And as, because we were on staff, we had a rotation. We were required to go to so many meetings a week, some morning, some noon, some night, whatever. So uh, there, was a, there was a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of, anybody ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill? So back in the probably 40s and 50s or 60s, Leonard was sort of a known preacher and author. He wrote some books. Into the 70s and 80s, he was a little bit like Anna. He'd been around for a while. Um, but was really a guy who, who had a heart for the Lord and a heart for sort of this hidden ministry and prayer. So we invited Leonard to come and be with us, and he would lead some of these meetings. And again, Leonard was, was, was you know, pretty old, and he was, he was small. He was a small guy, and, and he always wore a suit, always. He always had 
a suit and tie on all day, every day. And here's the thing. Every meeting, when you get there, even if we were leading, if it was my turn to lead, you show up a little bit early to make sure the microphone's on and stuff. Where's Leonard? He's right there. Front row on the, cor- on the aisle. Every stinking time. And you could never... I, th- I started to think, he lives here. He doesn't ever leave this room because you come a half hour early, he's there. And, and it was like, it was encouraging and discouraging all at once. You know how that is? I'm like, man, this guy is so committed. But then the part of me is like, I will never, ever be like that. Uh, but I just think, I think of him every time I read this thing about Anna because he was always there. And I just think she was always there. She was always there. And, and the beauty of that is when he prayed, you knew he was always there. You know, you knew he was always there because there was just that thing came out of his heart. You could just hear it. So Anna, she never remarried, you know, that we know, never had children. Uh, Being a woman, very, very likely, first century Israel, she was uneducated. Uh, She wasn't, didn't write scripture, wasn't Peter or Paul. She wasn't Stephen, wasn't Timothy, wasn't Barnabas, wasn't anybody like that. She was a woman who committed her life to serving the Lord. That's who she was. She committed her life to serving the Lord. Here's what I, I would say this. I think Anna was a faith hero. I think Anna was a faith hero. We might look at her through sort of earthly eyes, fleshly eyes, worldly eyes, and we say, well, she was a lonely old woman. And no career, no family. You know? I don't think that's what God saw when God saw Anna. I, I, I think God looked at her and smiled. That was a, she was a hero. She was a hero. Uh, you know, you think about heroes. I kind of, who are our heroes today? I don't even know who our heroes are today. I mean, to, often it's athletes, right? So there's famous athletes that do great things, whatever. Uh, maybe musicians or, or actors. I don't know. I don't know who our heroes are today. Um, but even in church, we at times kind of develop that sort of celebrity mentality. You know what I'm talking about? I want that person to pray for me, you know, because I want the big name guy to pray for me. Uh, I always, when, when I need prayer, I always want the, t- the teenagers to pray for me because I think they're the best. But, you know, that's just me. Um, what makes Anna a hero is this. She was exactly where God wanted her to be. That's it. What makes her a hero of the faith is that she was where God wanted her to be. And I think that's what, you know, would make us heroes of the faith too. Just be where God wants you to be. Um, She was faithful and she was obedient. Somewhere in her history, God said, this is what I want you to do. And so she just did it. And then she did it some more and she did it some more and she did it some more. And that's what God sees. And I think God smiles on that, makes her a hero. There's There's a lot of things that we might look at and say, uh, these are impressive things. These are important things. You know, whether that's a, a big ministry or a powerful anointing or, or whatever. There's a lot of things. And, and I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things. I'm just saying this, that I, I think what matters is this, that you know God and that you do what God calls you to do, whatever that is. You know God and you're faithful to Him. That's, that's what matters. Um, you know, even in the, again, faith heroes. Who are our faith heroes today? And I don't know, I think of, so maybe famous worship leaders, you know, Jeremy Riddle, we sang John Mark McMillan's song today, people like that. I go, yeah, those are, those are heroes. Or maybe, the, you know, Robbie Dawkins or somebody that's this powerful minister, powerful anointing. And again, I'm not saying those are bad things, but 
Um, who, 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 you know, who are the heroes of the faith? To me, the heroes of the faith are the people that do what God's called them to do. I, I find it interesting. Jesus was so often impressed with things that are kind of unimpressive on most levels. You know what I'm saying? There was another widow that Jesus was impressed with. You remember? Remember who that? She went and put two pennies in the offering. Now, I'm just saying, somebody puts two pennies in the offering, we're probably going to go, thanks. But Jesus was honored. He was pretty impressed with that. I, I would just say there's a couple life lessons we could learn from Anna today. So the first one, and if you want to go to the next slide, Blake, is strive for service, not success. There you go. Strive for service, not success. Uh, we, can lo- we can look for a big ministry. And again, I'm not saying those are bad things necessarily. I'm not knocking big ministries or anything like that. All I'm saying is consider what God looks at. And, and strive to serve. I, I just think if, if we all serve in the capacity that God gives us to serve, we will see God do great things in our midst. Um, you know, Anna went to the temple and prayed. That's what she did. That, that was end of conversation. Fasted and prayed, worshiped night and day. That's what she did. Largely unnoticed. I'm sure that, that was other than people that came to the temple and go, man, the old lady's here again. Uh, but other than that, I'm sure that she was largely unnoticed. She, she didn't impact, you know, millions of people. Or did she? And, and therein lies the question. So let me ask you this. <laughs> if, if we believe that prayer makes a difference, if we believe, you know, as, <laughs> as the great J. Vernon McGee said, Prayer, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. I listened to J. Vernon McGee for 20 years on the radio and then I found out he was dead. And I thought, and I, how, how could that be? He's on the radio every day. Um, but I remember that. If we believe that, that prayer changes things, let me ask you this question. How impactful was her ministry? She's in the temple praying night and day every day for 60 years, how many people's lives did she in fact actually touch? That's the question. Um, It's amazing what we can do just by humbly following God. Go to the next slide, if you would, Acts 10.38. I love this. Uh, The the verse picks up mid-sentence, but says uh, he was talking about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus, how he, Jesus, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So I love that verse for this reason. You want to be like Jesus? Do good. That's all you got to do. Just do good. Do, go around doing good. It's not that hard. We complicate it sometimes. I would say this. Get ready to go out the door, start your day, just ask this question. Okay, God, what good can I do today? Can I help a neighbor, mow a lawn, carry some groceries, you know, teach Sunday school, set up chairs, whatever. Whatever. Can I say God loves it all? Somebody said once, this is awesome, I love this. Somebody said the pay is the same. 
Heal the sick, raise the dead, mop the floor. The pay is the same. Next thing, next slide. Second thing we can learn from manna is cultivate a secret history with God. Um, Cultivate a secret history with God. Think about Anna's life, 60 years or more, of going to the temple and praying alone with God. Now, Now let me maybe state the obvious here. If, if God was not real to her, then that's a sucky life. Because it's 60 years of what? Just being alone. It's not very fun. But, conversely, on the other hand, if God was real to her, that changes everything. Because she gave her life being in the presence of God. And think about the glory of that. How, how good is that? Just being in the presence of God all day, every day. I don't know if there's anything better than that. I mean, you know, we have to live life, right? We have to go out there and walk around and deal with stuff. If you could just be in the presence of God all day, that would be kind of cool. I, I, just, I just think this. If we want to have a truly transformational relationship with God, we, we have to cultivate private time with Him. We need to cultivate private time with him. Don't come up. Um, and probably you, you too, I think. Uh, um, just go to the next slide and then you can come on. Uh, so much of our relationship with God is, is really defined publicly. It really is. You know, we, we go to church, we lead a small group, we teach a Bible study. Uh, and again, those are good things. They're all necessary things, but that's one dimension, that sort of that... that public dimension is one aspect. Community is important, but so is a personal, private relationship with God. Times of prayer, times of study, times of worship alone. And, and so I would just encourage you that. I wanted to just share a resource with you. This is something I really enjoy. Does anybody use Pray As You Go? Anybody? So this is a... Um, I have it on my phone. It's an app on your phone. If you go to the App Store, just Pray As You Go. Or it's PraiseYouGo.org. You can do it on your computer as well. And this is what it is. It's a daily devotional, and it's about... Uh, so, so it's... I don't know where it comes from, if it's Scotland or England, but everybody has an accent, which makes it seem way more spiritual. Because if you have an accent, you're way more... It just, it just, it just seems spiritual. But it starts off, in the beginning is... There's a couple minutes of worship music. It's not, not typically the kind of worship music we, we have. It's more kind of Baroque, Taze, it's, it's choir, it's different, but you'll like it. So there's two or three minutes of worship, and then there's a Scripture reading, and then there's a reflection on the Scripture, and they'll ask a couple questions and give you time with some music playing in the background where you meditate and kind of think about the Scripture a little bit, and then they always read it again at the end, and then it closes with a little more worship, and then it ends with a prayer. And it's about, all of them are right around uh, every day. There's a new reading every day. They're always about 10, 11, 12 minutes long. That's how long the whole thing takes. And it's really great. And you can do it, so it's, it's short. You can do it in your car. Uh, I suggest you don't do it in your car because I like, Don and I will do it sometimes in the morning together when we have coffee. So we'll sit uh, get, I do it after coffee. If you're really spiritual, you do it before coffee. But that's up to you. That's between you and God. But you listen. You just I can, I can sit and listen to it with my eyes closed. 
But if, if you do it in a car, you, you have to keep your eyes open. That's the deal. But either way, it's a great little resource. It's a great resource just to co- kind of cultivate some of that quiet time with God. But the, the point is simply this, that culturally we put a lot of value on the visible part of our relationship with God. But there's an invisible part too. And I think one of the things that I, impresses me about Anna and maybe why Luke thought it was important to include her in, in his writing here is that she just had that private history with God. And she impacted the lives of people simply through prayer. So why don't we stand?